Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Matt Luloyan, uh, and if we've not met before, um, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of Liberty Church. Uh, just a, um, an honor to serve, to be a pastor here. I was away at a conference for a couple days this week with a lot of other church uh, planters and pastors from all over the country. Um, lots of exciting and encouraging things to hear and learn, uh, but really when I go away like that and, and get to reflect back on how to apply all these great principles that other people are, are trying in their churches, it just reminds me of how lucky and, and blessed I am to be a pastor of, of all of you. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to serve in that way and even for the opportunity to disappear for a couple days from time to time uh, to go learn and, and be renewed uh, myself. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in uh, the book of Jonah this morning. Uh, if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles that Annie mentioned just a second ago, page 774 uh, is where that's going to be. Uh, if not, Jonah's kind of a tough book in the Bible to find. It's kind of like go to Psalms and then keep going a little bit after that, uh, and you'll, you'll eventually find your way there. It's not a very big book, um, but it's kind of nestled in there toward the end of the Old Testament. In, uh, in 1987, which I realize for some of you is like before you were born, um, we have some of our Messiah students here, that's before you were born, uh, an 18-month-old named Jessica McClure was playing in her aunt's backyard. And her mom uh, left her alone for a couple minutes to go inside and answer the phone. It's hard to comprehend, but once upon a time, phones were connected to walls and, and cords and things like that. Uh, went into her home, talked on the phone for a couple minutes. When she returned, to her horror, she discovered that baby Jessica had fallen through an eight-inch opening of an abandoned well and had fallen down 22 feet into the well where she got stuck. Over the course of the next 59 hours, uh, rescuers worked around the clock to get baby Jessica out of the well. And using this machine that is uh, really intended to plant uh, telephone poles, they dug a parallel hole uh, a few feet beneath where she was stuck and then drilled kind of a perpendicular connector tunnel two feet below her so they could pull her down and, and out. Uh, CNN was actually on site for the majority of the recovery operations. Did anyone remember watching the footage of that? There's a few. Yeah. Um, I did not watch it live at the time. I was, I was three. I was three years old at the time. Um, but I do remember several years later, I don't remember what the occasion was, but in school we watched the footage of this uh, for some reason. And I remember both the suspense, the anticipation of watching this rescue operation unfold, and then also just this sense of relief and joy when you see her emerge from that hole when she's pulled to, to safety. We love a good rescue story, do we not? We love a good rescue story. Some of our favorite books, some of our favorite films, all the way from like Sleeping Beauty to Saving Private Ryan, right? Across the spectrum of genre and age are rescue stories. But let me ask you an honest question this morning. When you read or when you watch a rescue story, if you envision yourself being in that story somehow, what role do you picture yourself in? Are you the rescuer or are you the rescued? For me, and, and maybe, maybe some of you will resonate with this, most of the time when I watch or listen to rescue stories, it's the role of rescuer that I put myself in. I love to think about myself in a position of strength, where I have something to offer, where I'm able to help, where I get to be involved in the rescue of another person. But I'm going to suggest there's another reason that you and I love rescue stories. And that's because deep down, we know that we belong on the other side of that rescue. There's something that is woven into the fabric of our lives 
that longs to be rescued. And that sounds weak, and that sounds vulnerable, and that sounds needy because it is weak, and it is vulnerable, and it is needy. And we, uh, and ours is a culture that by and large does not appreciate weakness and vulnerability and neediness. And it's been that way for a long time, particularly with men. And then as we've increasingly sought to eradicate the differences between the unique shape that God has given to men and to women, women are now not supposed to be needy, weak, and vulnerable either. At this conference this week, I was sitting in a room of people getting ready for someone to speak. It was a crowded room. There were no seats left in the room. A woman came in to sit down next to me, and I ended up offering her my seat. But before that, I had this internal debate and dialogue with myself that seemingly lasted for like 30 minutes. I'm sure it was like two seconds of like, is it offensive to offer my seat to this woman who just came in and sat down on the floor next to me? And, and it, it took me, you know, a little while, and all of a sudden I snapped out of it. It was like, what am I doing? Like, how am I, why am I even thinking that way? And so I'm realizing our culture is trying to eradicate that. It's, it's trying to say that weakness and neediness and vulnerability is not a positive trait or a virtue. But that denies a fundamental reality of our humanity. The, the reality is not that men are strong and independent and women are needy and dependent, nor is the reality that men are independent and strong and so are women independent and strong. The reality is that all of us are dependent. All of us are needy and weak and vulnerable. All of us have a deep need to be rescued. And one of the particular gifts of the book of Jonah is that Jonah's need for rescue is so urgent and undeniable. Right? When, we, when we left him where we left him last week, he's as needy as 18-month-old baby Jessica stuck in the well. He's thrown overboard in the midst of this storm, for all he knows, sinking down to his death. But then at the very end of what we read last week, we read of God's rescue of Jonah. And as we continue that, looking at his rescue of Jonah this morning, it helps us see our own need for God's rescue as well. So let's continue in our study of Jonah this morning. We're going to read Jonah chapter 2. There's 10 verses. I'll start, actually I'll back up just one verse to the end of uh, chapter 1 and verse 17 and then read through chapter 2 verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you for how undeniable Jonah's rescue 
his need for rescue is in this passage and how his life helps us see our own need for rescue in our lives. Uh, We pray, God, that you would reveal that to us this morning, that you would show us how necessary and how beautiful your rescue of us is. And wherever each person finds himself or herself this morning sitting in this room, would you just give us the the ability to focus on your word, uh, to, to learn from you this morning, Meet us where we are. Work in our hearts. We pray that in your name. Amen. So three questions for us to consider this morning looking at this text. Where does God rescue us? How does God rescue us? Why does God rescue us? Where, how, and then why. So first, where does God rescue us? As Jonah prays this prayer... Listen again to these various descriptors he uses for the place that he finds himself when God rescues him. He says that he's in distress. Uh, He says that he's in the belly of Sheol. Sheol is a a Hebrew term uh, meaning the grave or the netherworld. It's really like the lowest possible place in God's creation. He says he's in the deep. He's in the heart of the seas. He's in the flood. Seaweed is wrapping around his head. He's at the root of the mountains. The bars of death are closing in on him forever, like a prison cell. He's in the pit. His life is fainting away. Over and over again, we hear Jonah talking about this. Where does God rescue his people? He rescues them from death's doorstep. He rescues them from, really, from death itself. Three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, that's actually a picture of death and burial. Uh, Someone who is buried for three days isn't just sleeping. Uh, They're not just unconscious, they're dead. And so God rescuing Jonah, uh, God here is rescuing Jonah from death. He is bringing about a resurrection in Jonah's life. And the reason that we often picture ourselves as the rescuer rather than the rescued is because we don't really perceive ourselves very often to be in a desperate situation like this. But this is actually the, the, the very condition of our lives. One of the many things that the book of Jonah highlights is that uh, humanity is really the only part of God's creation that resists God and fails to live out God's purposes in the world, right? Uh, We are the ones who resist. We are the ones who rebel against God. The rest of creation does exactly what it's designed and created to do. So the wind and the waves, the storm, they they obey God. We see that play out in this passage. The, The great creatures of the sea And the sea is this picture of chaos and the untamed, the untamable in the ancient world. The sea does exactly what God has designed it and created it to do. The the creatures of the sea do his bidding, but humanity runs. And that running, that separation from God, that is the essence of death. This is why some of our most real encounters that we have with God come when he doesn't protect us from the consequences of our own actions and our own choices. Because to always protect us from the consequences of our actions would hinder us from seeing our need to be rescued. It would actually keep us from tasting in some small way or maybe some big way the death that you and I naturally choose rather than the life that is offered in God. So instead of always rescuing us, instead of always keeping us from pain and consequences, God instead meets us in the midst of pain and consequences. And that is where he rescues us. A scholar named Rosemary Nixon 
And she puts it this way. Salvation is not, in the first instance, the Lord taking us out of our mess. It is God meeting us within it. Jonah will find salvation within his watery grave, for there, in the place which eloquently speaks of death, God will meet him. In other words, Jonah tries to flee from God through the sea, but it's in the sea that God meets and rescues Jonah. Jonah has himself thrown overboard as this one vain final attempt to escape from God. And there are a hundred moments along the way that God could stop him from getting to that point before he is drowning down into the depths of the sea, but he doesn't stop that from happening. He doesn't rescue him from the consequences. It's as Jonah descends to what will certainly be his death, he comes to find God is already there in the depths waiting for him to rescue him. So where does God rescue us from? He rescues us from death's doorstep. And, and this is so important for who we are and who we aim to be as a church, right? as a group of people here in this Harrisburg region. If you're here uh, for more than a week or two, you will hear me or someone else or maybe many people say that you are welcome to be here in the midst of your doubts. And you are welcome to be here in the midst of your questions. You're welcome to be here in the midst of whatever you are going through. So you might this morning find yourself in a terrible place right now. You've outright rejected God. Or you're enslaved to something. You've made a mess of your life. Well, we believe you don't clean yourself up and put yourself together to present something good to God. We believe you just come to him as you are. Drowning, if that is where you are. In the depths of the pit, if that's where you are. Your life fading away, if that's where you are. See, I don't say to you, and other people up here don't say to you that you are welcome regardless of where you find yourself because those are like good words to say. We say that because God's people are a rescued people. Right? Christians are not, and this is an important distinction that I hope always characterizes us, Christians are not disciplined, decent, and moral people. Christians are rescued people. So we fully expect and we hope, I hope, that God puts us in the midst of others from our neighborhoods and from our workplaces and from our schools, whatever circles you run in, who are on the precipice of death, right? who are running, who are rebelling, who have been thrown overboard, who have been cast out, who have messed up their lives, right? Because that is exactly who every single one of us is apart from the rescue of God. And if you're someone who's there today, let me just say it again to you, you are welcome Welcome to be among the people of the Almighty Rescuing God because that is me and that is everyone else here. You belong here because this is not just your story. This is everyone's story. And we are not a church for those who are well. We are a church for those who are sick, for those who are dependent, for those who are desperate for the rescue of God. And and let me say this. If I or if anyone else from our church has ever gives you or or gives a friend or a family member that you bring with you to be part of this church or part of a home meeting or something like that, if we ever give you any impression but that, would you please forgive us for that? Would you forgive us for giving you an impression that that's not true? God, help me remember that I am always a rescued man and help us remember that we are a rescued people. Like Jonah, I think we, we love to trumpet the salvation of God with while at the same moment forgetting our desperate need for it ourselves. 
And so if we've ever given that impression to you or to one of your family members or friends who is here, forgive us for that. I, I ask you, forgive us for that. Where does God rescue us from? From the doorstep of death, from death itself. Okay, second, how does God rescue us? When God meets Jonah at death's doorstep, how, do, how does he rescue him? This is the part of the story uh, that we're all familiar with, right? Or at least most of us are familiar with. We learn when we're really young, especially if we go to church. A great fish swallows him up. Okay? Underneath the novelty of that, underneath the supernatural miracle that that is, there's really profound meaning. When, when Jonah is fleeing, he tries to hide from God. And first he tries to hide himself in the depths of the boat, right? He goes way down into the depths of the ship. And when that no longer works, he tries to hide himself in the depths of the sea. God rescues him, though, by providing a different and better hiding place. It's not the belly of the ship. It's not the belly of Sheol. It's the belly of a fish appointed and sent by God. So how are we rescued? God hides us in himself. Right? We are rescued into the refuge of God. And Jonah's prayer here in chapter 2 borrows language from a lot of different psalms. It's like, a, it's like a piecemeal of a lot of different psalms. And if you read the psalms, one of the recurring themes that you'll hear over and over again is the psalmist speaking of God as his refuge, as a shield, as a fortress, as a stronghold. And the reason that we need God to be a refuge and to be a shield, to be a fortress, to be a stronghold is because we are hiders. Human beings are hiders. We are going to hide somewhere. The question is, will we hide ourselves in God, or will we hide ourselves away from God? Just as Adam and Eve, all the way back in the garden, they ate fruit from the forbidden tree, they hide themselves from God. Jonah gets on a boat attempting to reach the western shores of the known world, trying to hide from God. We do the same thing. We try to hide from God. And practically, this looks like anything that you might use to escape the hardships of life. Or anything that you might use to try to escape the transforming presence of God. You might know that God wants to do something in your life and change something in your life, and you don't really want that. There's something of you that, that holds on to your life as it is now and resists it. So things like alcohol and drugs and sex and pornography or food or any kind of addiction to anything, right? Addictions are a way we could talk about hiding, escaping or hiding from God. But don't think for a second that we hide only in things like that that are overtly destructive. We also hide in good things that we try to turn into a refuge. So maybe you play a lot of sports or you work out like 40 hours a week at the gym or you work on your yard or you work on your car or you work on your house a ton. Or you binge watch Netflix, or you watch a lot of TV or movies, or maybe you play a ton of computer games or video games, or maybe you sleep a lot, or maybe you take a lot of vacations. In and of themselves, none of those things are inherently bad. Actually, a lot of those things are good things, but they make a terrible refuge. Right? They can't hide you. Not forever, and not in a way that actually protects you or delivers you from anything. They make about as good of a refuge as the innermost parts of a ship when there's a storm that's going to take the whole ship down underwater. But God brings us up from the pit of those cheap substitute hiding places and he rescues us and hides us firmly in himself. For Jonah, that looks like being hidden in the belly 
of a fish. How does God rescue you and me? Well, more than 700 years later, a man named Jesus Christ walks the earth in first century Palestine. And when he's asked by the people, hey, show us a sign. Prove that you are who you say you are. You're making all these radical claims. Show us a sign. Prove your authority. Jesus replies to them, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He references all the way back to the story of Jonah. And Jesus continues, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, the ultimate rescue of God will come when another better prophet named Jesus is crucified, died, and buried. He descends to the dead, just as we said together in the Apostles' Creed today. But only is he dead for three days. On the third day, he rises and ascending back to the Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul tells us when we trust that work of Jesus that we become united with him. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We are hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. So the ultimate rescue of God comes as God hides us in himself through the finished work of Jesus. So the question for each of us today. Where are you hiding? Are you hiding in God? Are you hiding away from God? And even if you're someone who seeks to hide in God, where are those places that you are prone to try to hide from Him? To hide away from Him? What will it look like for you to stop hiding in those things? To to stop seeking escape in those things and to try to hide yourself in Him instead? So that's where God rescues us. That's how God rescues us. Third, why does God rescue us? There's an article on philly.com a couple weeks ago about a man named Kevin Hines. Uh, In September of the year 2000, Kevin Hines was 19 years old. He, He suffers from bipolar disorder. And so 16 years ago, he took a bus to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, and he hurled himself over the railing, into the bay. And that is a, many of you have probably seen pictures or have been maybe perhaps to the, to the Golden Gate Bridge. That's a 220-foot fall from the bridge to the bay below. And of the more than 1,600 people who have attempted suicide by, by jumping off, only 33 of them are known to have survived. And Kevin Hines is, is one of those 33. Uh, he hit the water traveling at 75 miles an hour which is akin to to being in a car crash without a seatbelt, hitting a brick wall at 75 miles an hour. And hitting the water at that speed, it shattered and splintered three of his lower vertebrae, which then splintered throughout his internal organs, somehow missing his heart and his lungs. With his broken back, unable to move his legs, in an unbelievable amount of pain, it's almost certain that he would drown. Many of the people who die jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge don't, don't die from immediate impact. They die from drowning right after that. And it was almost certain that Kevin Hines would drown. But get this, a sea lion swam up and propped him up to keep his head above the water until the Coast Guard could get there and pull him out. Okay? I think there's some parallels to the story of Jonah and this guy's life. And this is, like, this is the Philly Inquirer, right? This is not like some crazy person's blog about every day. This is, like the, this is a legitimate journalistic news source. Kevin Hines, his life and his work since that day are a great example of why God rescues people. 
Right? Kevin now speaks and writes and works to prevent suicide. And the reason that this article was in Philly.com a couple weeks ago is because he was just at UPenn speaking to their student body. UPenn has had um, 10 of their students, tragically, um, commit suicide over the past three years. And so Kevin Hines came to speak to them to try to prevent uh, more suicides from, from happening there. Okay. Why does God rescue us? Well, first and foremost, let's not miss this. He rescues me. He rescues you because he loves you. And we need to be rescued. I need to be rescued. That's why God rescues us. But, you know, we are not just some kind of cog in God's machine. We're not some kind of pawn in God's world. But it's not only me. It's not only you who need to be rescued. He rescues me because I need it. He also rescues me because the world needs it. And human beings as we learn in Scripture, our human beings are God's image bearers. They are the work of God's hands. They are the souls to which he longs to be merciful. He desires that none should perish. He, he desires that all should experience his rescue, should experience his salvation. And to that end, the world needs honest and real examples of the rescue of God. And not only does the world need it, I think if you listen, the world wants it. Rescue stories resonate with us in our culture because we long for our own rescue. I don't know how many friends or family members you have that are currently unconvinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may have been a long time for you since you've spent a lot of time with people who are outside of a a church environment. But if, if that's the case, let me just fill you in on this. You don't need to persuade or convince people that something is wrong with the world. You don't have to convince people of that. They already know. And they already know something is deeply wrong in their own heart and in their own life. Deep down, everybody knows they need to be rescued from themselves or the world around them. And that's why we spend so much time or money either trying to convince us that that's not true or finding our own personal way to hide. So this is one of the great opportunities and the great purposes of our lives as God's people to be the real and honest examples of God's rescue in the world. It's an opportunity that Jonah tragically fails to see. And I don't know if you caught this. Verse 8 is one of the most ironic texts in Scripture. Jonah contrasts himself with those who pay regard to vain idols. And yet, actually, in that moment, he's paying regard to a vain idol. He's paying regard to, in his perception, a compassionless God of his own making. In his name, in his identity, Jonah is a Hebrew. He fears the God who made the sea and the dry land. But does he really fear that God? From the belly of the fish, he promises to sacrifice and make vows and fulfill those vows to God. And he's lamenting those who don't. He's contrasting himself with those who don't. Meanwhile, the pagan sailors have already started their worship up on the ship. Jonah is just temporarily coming to his senses, only to continue in his inconsistency once the fish vomits him out. Once he gets to Nineveh, as we'll see, though Jonah rejoices in God's salvation of him, he doesn't want it. For others, he wants mercy for himself. He wants judgment for others. He wants deliverance for himself, and he wants death for others. So, for us, may we never forget God's rescue of us, and that then He also longs to rescue others. God will rescue other people. How amazing is this thought? God will rescue other people by using us as flesh and blood examples of what His rescue looks like. People long to be rescued, but they often need to see that played out in the life of another person before they have the courage to say so. And particularly when your culture says, don't be weak, don't be needy, don't be vulnerable, be strong instead. 
how much credibility does Kevin Hines have as a survivor of suicide? Right? How many people thinking about suicide will be spared death because he was spared death? And that's the same opportunity that you and I have as those who have been rescued by God. We become instruments, we become rescued instruments of God's rescue of others. So let's talk about God's rescue of us. Let's invite other people into our experience of God's rescue of us so that they might, in turn, experience their own. There's an even more fundamental reason why God rescues us. And we see it here in verse 9, and we'll close with this. Why does God rescue Jonah? Why does God rescue us? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. God is the compassionate God who hears, who forgives, who saves. God saves at the end of the day because he is the God of salvation. That's what he does. And there's such freedom in this for me and for you. We're not rescued through the quality of our understanding of God. We're not rescued through the quality of our repentance. We're not rescued through the consistency or inconsistency of our actions. Although all of those things are important, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's His initiative. It's His prerogative. It's His to lavish upon people of an enemy nation just as much as He lavishes it upon the prophet who rebels and runs. It's His to lavish upon the decent and the disciplined and the moral person, just as much as he lavishes it upon the undisciplined and the indecent, the one whose life is currently in shambles. Like Jonah, not even our faulty understanding, not even our inconsistency, not even our reluctance will undermine the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord. So can we just rejoice together in in the bad example of Jonah? He is one of the worst examples of what a man of God should look like, and yet God rescues him from death. Praise God, because that's me, and that's you. Jonah's rescue points to God's greater rescue. See, God's rescue is far more than a fish swallowing Jonah. Because salvation belongs to the Lord, because Jesus has spent three days in the belly of the earth and then risen from the grave, ultimately, the rescue of God means that God will swallow up death itself forever. As the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 25, And God will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God and we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord and we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We are rescued from death. We are rescued as God hides us in himself. We are rescued because through this rescue of us, God will surely rescue others. But in all of that, may we see that we are a rescued people first and foremost and most fundamentally because God is a rescuing God. And salvation belongs to him.
Amen. You pray for us. God, you are the God of our salvation. And salvation belongs to you. And we rejoice in that this morning because if it belonged to anybody else, if it was dependent upon anything else, we would be hopeless. But your nature and your character is not only to be a God who hates sin, but who rescues us and delivers us out of it. And we long for the day that you will complete that work, the day that you will swallow up death forever. As you swallow up Jonah with a fish that you appointed, may we look to the day that you will swallow up death forever, and may we look to Jesus, the one who talked about the sign of Jonah, three days in the earth, but risen from the dead, that we might be hidden in you, that you might be our refuge, that you might be our stronghold in this life. God, for all of us who run, for all of us who hide, don't let us go. Pursue us. Remind us that we are a rescued people because of Jesus. And may our lives always be a testament to the worth of that rescue. May people in our community come and be rescued themselves because we never forget that we are a rescued people. And as we come to this table, again, remind us that you are a God who rescues and that salvation belongs to you. I pray this in your name. Amen.